embattled Congressman Matt Gates. Matt Gates was one of the very few members in the entire Congress who bothered to stand up against permanent Washington on behalf of his constituents. Matt Gates right now, he's a problem for the Democratic Party, and he could cause a lot of hiccups in passing of laws. So we're going to keep running those stories to keep hurting him. If you stand for the flag and kneel in prayer, if you want to build America up and not burn her to the ground, then welcome, my fellow patriots. You are in the right place. This is the movement for you. You ever watch this guy on television? It's like a machine, Matt Gates. I'm a canceled man in some corners of the internet. Many days I'm a marked man in Congress, a wanted man by the deep state. They aren't really coming for me. They're coming for you. I'm just in the way. COVID-19 or COVID-1984? It's hard to tell sometimes. Increasingly, our government is doing really dumb stuff with its regulatory and police power, and we aren't doing nearly enough of the work necessary to make our people healthier and more resilient against this virus. It's obvious it's not necessarily about health, but control. And so we start today's episode in our nation's capital city. Now, Washington, D.C.'s city government has always been a bit outside of mainstream America, but usually on the side of making stuff more legal, like euthanasia or recreational marijuana. But now we have the city government of the capital city embracing the most draconian liberty-restricting COVID mandates. I mean, even Starbucks just announced that they're no longer mandating vaccines for their employees. I guess we've got a lot to disagree about in America today, but I think we should all be able to agree that no government should be more woke than Starbucks. Euthanasia and marijuana are more legal in D.C. than ordering tacos without your Vax passport today. Meanwhile, COVID is becoming less deadly, more endemic. Not double-vaxxed and boosted. Guess you'll have to pick up your food around back and don't even think about riding the bus. Now, the seats for the unvaxxed, they're not in the front or the back. You can't even get on the bus at all. At least Rosa got to take the trip. We were told the vaccine stopped the spread. This is how they marketed it to us. Get vaxxed, go back to normal. You will not get the virus. Now we know that the vaccines work well enough that the virus stops with every vaccinated person. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus. The virus does not infect them. The virus cannot then use that person to go anywhere else. In fact, if you even questioned this, you were called a conspiracy theorist and banned from social media. Well, as it turns out, the conspiracy theorists were right again. Anyone with a room temperature IQ now knows that while the vaccine may help with symptoms for some, it absolutely does not stop the spread or contraction of this virus. Vaccinated people who do have a breakthrough infection are clearly capable of transmitting the infection to an uninfected person. Here's Pfizer's CEO admitting that the shots don't have the safety profile they'd once hoped for. Now we are going with a third uh, target. We believe uh, that was very carefully selected. We believe that has very high probabilities of delivering a solution to an unmet need, not because the current Zoster vaccines are not effective, but they are, don't have the safety profile that we hope we can achieve with this technology. End of discussion, right? 
civil liberty arguments aside, if the vaccine doesn't stop the spread, and it absolutely doesn't, then there's no justification or rationale for this mandate. It's completely illogical. So why do it? Pretty simple. To punish those who don't bend the knee to the regime. So we have an untamed and perhaps untamable virus an ineffective and potentially harmful vaccine, a regime that will torture us into taking it, should we panic? Certainly not. COVID is not something that you should be afraid of to the extent that you can't live your life. The fear porn director of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky, who once told us that she had a feeling of impending doom regarding the virus, now is happy to explain that over 75% of COVID deaths occurred in people with at least four comorbidities. The overwhelming number of deaths, over 75%, occurred in people who had at least four comorbidities. So really, these are people who were unwell to begin with. Basically, if you're at risk, it's good to take precautions. Of course, COVID can be serious for those who are ill, elderly, morbidly obese, people with four comorbidities. Joe Biden and Stacey Abrams, maybe, should get boosted weekly. But remember, even Chris Christie and the late, great Bobby Bowden survived a deadlier version of COVID in the same week. Your medical decisions and your body are your business alone, and you should not be punished for the decisions you make. It's awfully convenient that the powers that be are now being a little more honest about what we've known all along the disappointing efficacy of the vaccine, and the low risk of COVID to the average American, especially in this latest strain. So after they weaponized fear-mongering to try to oust Trump, they're having a tough time putting that genie back in the bottle under the Biden administration. Even the clowns that said that you shouldn't celebrate Christmas are now irritated at teachers' unions for refusing to do their jobs and show up at work. In Chicago today, Dr. Wen, the teachers union is going to vote on a possible walkout uh, starting this week. They believe, those, the teachers union believes it's too risky to bring kids and teachers back into the classroom. Is there any data to support that? That teachers union is wrong. And all the teachers unions that are saying that we have to delay kids going back to school are wrong. But their feigned honesty might be a little too late. Despite these new developments, the vaccine mandate that has made its way to DC has existed for some time in New York City and all over the world. Its effects on the average person and the economy that we all live in have been dystopic. We know exactly what it will bring. Destruction and despair. The supply chain is still wrecked. Grocery stores are still empty. Cargo ships are still stranded at sea. The New York City firehouses are shut down. There's a shortage of city workers. Hospitals are understaffed. And the problems go on and on. And for what? Punishment. In his November 2021 statement on VAX requirements, Joe Biden announced the following. Second thing I'd like to say, today's report shows that vaccination requirements are good for the economy not only increase in vaccination rates, but to help send people back to work. Vaccine mandate requiring all people to provide medical proof so they can participate in American commerce and society as a whole. This is not good for the economy or America. And now we have the proof. 
The fact that 5 million people, probably more, would go back to work, but there is this authority that restricts their freedom that doesn't allow them to, and it's not American. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has led the nation in COVID reduction, concurrent with a strong economy in the Sunshine State. Why is this? Woke business leaders cannot require proof of vaccination in Florida. That's right. It's the law. Executive Order 2181 provides that businesses in Florida are prohibited from requiring patrons or customers to provide any documentation certifying COVID-19 vaccination or post-transmission recovery to gain access to, entry upon, or service from the business. Same applies to Florida government entities who may not issue vaccine passports or other documentation identifying an individual's COVID-19 or vax status. Florida serves as a model for other states, other governors who could be more courageous and actually utilize a dose of freedom and a booster of economic recovery. Now, Joe Biden's mandate is instructing OSHA to issue an emergency rule requiring employers with more than 100 employees to mandate that their workers get vaccinated or tested weekly. If that would be the law, it would adversely affect roughly 80 million private sector workers. Moreover, it's a sudden disruption in the labor supply. It would disrupt food chains, perpetuate inflation. All of the problems that Joe Biden has created would be made worse by the policies that he was pushing. Fortunately, the Supreme Court struck this down. Unfortunately, that prohibition didn't protect our healthcare workers. Our frontline healthcare workers are heroes. They worked unvaccinated through the entire pandemic, and now they're being fired for their troubles. Our woke neighbor to the north, Canada, just decided to mandate that its truck drivers get vaxxed. Well, should they wear a mask too while they're driving alone down the highways? I can't imagine a bigger recipe for supply chain shortages and literal starvation than to cripple the trucking industry. These people have been socially distancing for quite some time in their employment. It's almost as if they're causing problems on purpose. It's exactly what they're doing. They hate you and they hate America more than they want us to strive and overcome and be prosperous despite this pandemic. It's about punishment. People that can't get vaxxed or choose not to are turned into enemies of the state overnight. Don't get the vax, get fired. Get fired, no unemployment. You know, I wonder if Democrats in America would back a vaccine mandate for food stamps and welfare. If not, it shows you, it proves to you that it's not about health, it is about power. The regime is forcing us to choose between compliance and survival. And historically, that doesn't end well. Law-abiding citizens are forced to either break the law, forge vaccine cards, just to feed their families. Would a modern-day Robin Hood be handing out vaccine cards to people who just want to put in an honest day's work? There's nothing more sinister than a regime that turns its working class into outlaws as a matter of foolish public policy. Fitting that legends and fairy tales are told about those brave enough to stand up and resist. Speaking of resisting or not, the historic National Republican Club of Capitol Hill has caved to the DC fax mandate. They're now requiring their members, Republicans, anyone who visits, 
to produce their VAX cards and ID when they enter. Pathetic. Weak. The men and women who are supposed to be fighting the regime aren't even standing up to the D.C. City Council with their own club? It's spineless. How can Republicans tell our fellow Americans to resist and sacrifice when we ourselves are too afraid to do so? That's why I just canceled my membership at the Capitol Hill Club. I'm not going to ask anyone to make a sacrifice that I wouldn't make myself. And I've just learned that Senator Rand Paul, a brave firebrand indeed, has also canceled his membership, and we welcome him to the movement. Others should do the same. We need leaders who lead from the front. By example, men and women of action, not excuses. I hope that Senator Paul and my actions will inspire others to fight the good fight. In a rare victory for the American people, and you know, with a healthy amount of dismay for the court's most liberal judges who spouted and all kind of disinformation about COVID during oral arguments, the Supreme Court did strike down the unconstitutional Biden vaccine mandate that he was trying to implement through OSHA. Justice Sotomayor seemed to be so confused with Con Law 101 as she referred to OSHA's regulatory as a police power which, by the way, is a power reserved to the states. Not to mention her stating that 100,000 kids are in critical care on ventilators or that Omicron is deadlier than Delta. And not to be outdone in foolishness, Justice Kagan claimed that vaccines stopped the transmission of the virus. I mean, this is the Supreme Court, for goodness sakes. They sound like a COVID-phobic group of law students who wear their masks outside when playing frisbee golf with each other. When will they be censored for disinformation, like our good friend Marjorie Taylor Greene. The court ruled on the grounds that OSHA did not have any congressionally delegated authority to issue public health orders, obviously. And in the second case, Roberts and Kavanaugh sided with the liberals to uphold the HHS mandate on healthcare workers that take, uh, with organizations that take federal funds. So essentially every healthcare worker in the U.S. has to be subjected to these bad decisions and, you know, they're the ones that we ought to be celebrating the most. Just to think, if it weren't for four years of President Trump and three new Supreme Court justices appointed, there's a good chance that the United States would look a lot like Australia today. Count your blessings. The fight continues, but don't for a second think that this is just a blue state problem or just a Washington DC problem. I'm going to have an interview coming up in this episode with a Washington DC bar owner, and you're going to see how businesses' lives can be disrupted and how likely those bad policies could come to a town near you if we don't stand up and fight. Supply chain problems affect everyone. And stateless corporations and big hospital companies, these folks that answer to big pharma, they're everywhere and they want you to suffer. They wanna punish you. It's about control. And the time to speak out is now. The time to resist is now. Don't comply. The medical apartheid is here and it is coming for a city near you unless you put up the fight to stop it. Now, a great little watering hole in Washington, D.C. is dirty water. I had a conversation with the owner-operator, Chris, about the conditions there and how he's planning for the future. Take a listen. So we're here with Chris at Dirty Water in D.C. Chris, tell us about your place. So we are the Boston Sports Bar of D.C. Um, we're a pretty laid back spot. I, I kind of think that we're a little different than most places in D.C. 
If you want to craft cocktail, you're in the wrong place. If you want to watch the game and have a good time, you're in the right place. That's pretty much what we do here. We, we kind of sell fun. That's our thing. What's it been like these last two years? You know, we, uh, we all as Americans took for granted the ability to come to a place like this, blow off some steam, have some fun, watch some sports. And it just seems like overall life's gotten a lot less fun since 2020. It's been hard. Um, it's been hard. It's been challenging. I've had to get creative. I've had to do things. And it's funny, you know, when you first start this thing out, when I we, we've been open four and a half years now. And we first start out, it's hard because we're trying to get a name, trying to get people in here, so on and so forth. We're a mile on change from the Capitol. We're trying to get a lot of Capitol Hill staffers. That's kind of our base. And then we worked on that for two years or so. And, you know, we kind of started getting it going. We got a reputation. People know who we are. They're having a good time. And then it's like, okay, like we're going to now it's like, okay, let's take that next step in marketing, that next step in this place and do more. And then boom, everything stops, everything shuts down. We come back and everybody's got to sit at tables. And, you know, it's, it's just like, what is this? What do you think is the part about being a bar owner, dealing with the new kind of COVID world that people wouldn't know if they were just a customer that, that, that's going on kind of behind the scenes for you? I'm literally yelling at people to sit at a bar. They're having drinking beer and vodka sodas and whatever. Why do you have to do that? Because we had to, because the mandate said we had to. Now, it, is that, that's a mandate from the not, city government? Not now. A year and a half ago. I got it. Um, that was the D.C. mandate at that time when we were in quote-unquote phase two, which I, I guess kicked off. God, I've got to get my dates right here. But I want to say this was something like the summer of 20 when we re were able to reopen indoor and and my outdoor spaces and you had to sit you had to sit so we're a bar that people are trying to be social and you had to sit like in your seat and and, and enforcement which is abra in dc i mean i counted in that in that during that phase two which went from uh, right around memorial day of 2020 to god i gotta get my dates right let's just call it eight, eight or nine months Abra came in here 28 times to and check that's, us. That's 28 times. 28 times it, it, it would seem like they would be your best customer if you could yeah. get them to buy a drink. 28 times they came in here to try to write us a fine. And, and they wrote us one fine because three people were on the rooftop outside standing at a table with their drink as opposed to sitting their butt in the seat. What do you think uh, most small business owners think about these government regulations? Do, do you it, believe that we're doing it for your benefit? Of course not. Of course not. Um, I don't know if they think that that's why they're doing it. It's not benefiting us. It's not benefiting anyone. But they, whether or not they believe that's why they're doing it, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm not in government. I don't make the rules. We follow the rules because we have to because I have to maintain this place. So even if I'd like to sit here and say, like, you know, I want to fight back, I can't. And, and so I, I just sort of wonder um, – whether or not people resent rules that seem to only exist so that politicians can talk about them and not to really help anybody. When I was asking for cards Saturday afternoon, I said it to a couple people that, that didn't just pull it out. I kind of said, asked them in like an apologetic way, like, I'm sorry I got to do this. Can I see it? And like, that's how I feel that I am sorry I have to ask. I feel weird about it, but I also have to protect my business and I can't, <laughs> I can't challenge you know, Abra and the city because I'll, I'll get hurt. So I have to do it. I don't want to do this, but I need to do, do this. Do you think it's ever going to go back to the old normal? 
not like the new normal, but just like where people could show up, hang yeah. out, stand around, talk. I do. When do you think that's coming? I mean, you know, you look, all the money here is your money. Yeah. I mean, you're the guy with it all on the line in this business. I mean, you gotta be thinking at, you know, 12, 18 months ahead at some point. Well, maybe some of it's wishful thinking. I, I don't think it's very far away. Um, I don't know why I think that. There's something instinctually inside of me that says, okay, I, this was, somebody had to make a point and that's why this happened because it's happening in other cities and you know, these these things tend to follow, oh, we're New York's doing it, Boston's doing it, Philly's doing it, so DC's gotta do it now. I mean, whether that's actually true or not, that's kind of- I think I that's exactly true. Right, well, you know, it, the news came out of England two days ago that they started pulling everything, so I, I would- All we need is Mayor Bowser to have a big party like Boris Johnson did, <laughs> and then maybe the rest of the people in DC could, could, could have that. I the bar brain in me, I work on like a schedule. So everybody like, you know, you have a congressional schedule. So I have, a, I have a, a bar schedule. So it's like, what's the next big thing? The Super Bowl. Then what is it? St. Patrick's, March Madness. This is how I think in terms of planning this place. So it's kind of like when we start looking at the calendar, when do I hope this stuff gets pulled? Please be pulled by the Super Bowl or please be pulled by St. Patrick's Day. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, and, and I went through this with, with the city a year and a half ago, two years ago, when everything started with the heavier restrictions. So, so you, so, so you think that if restrictions are in place through those major revenue events, that'll hurt, that'll hurt. St. Patrick's will hurt. March madness will hurt. When this hit, when the shutdowns hit in March of 2020, right before Patty's and right before the NCAA tournament, which is like some of our biggest revenue time. I mean, I was crushed because I'll be quite honest. As I said earlier, everything we've ever done here was our own money, okay? Everything we had made from September 2017 to March 2020, I should have made this point earlier, but I'm gonna make it now, to get through being closed and get through the Titan times, I rolled back to zero, I had zero. Everything is gone from our first two and a half years. What that so everything like? we've made now is since then. That, uh, gone. That, that, Money's gone. That, that must have been crushing. Yeah, not fun. What's, what is the best thing that government could do proactively looking forward just to make it easier for folks like you to be able to make a fair buck, earn a fair living uh, when risking your own money to do so? So this is a point that needs to be made, okay. Bars and restaurants on a daily basis during all times, the last whatever many years you want to choose from, we have to operate under health code every day, okay? Now, we, we don't do food here, so it's a little easier for us than it does a restaurant that has a kitchen. But we have to operate under health code regardless. Who is more prepared to deal with health issues than bars and restaurant owners and managers and staff than almost anyone else? Because do you have to deal with health code every day? Or does anybody in this room have to deal with health code every day? Not that much. Now, you do from a, you know, a policy standpoint. But like, you go to work, you do your thing, you're not thinking about how, much, how hot the water is or all those things, what, how clean that space is. Now, somebody's dealing with that, but most people are not dealing with that on a daily, daily basis. We deal with that every day because that's what we have to do. How, clean, how, how sanitary are our bathrooms? How, all, all those things, is there soap everywhere? How are we washing things? Like that is something that bars and restaurants do daily. And the fact that out of nowhere, we're told to be what health is in a bar, it's a bit laughable because it's like, this is what we do. 
Not you, us. So let us do our thing would be my answer to that because we're the ones that do it all the time anyway. Do you think the trend going forward is going to be more letting you do your thing or less? I got it. I hope so. I don't know. I don't, I, again, I'm wishful thinking. I'm thinking on that calendar I mentioned. I'm hoping that things are, are in a place to where the powers that be can, can lift these restrictions and just let us do our thing. So I'm going to say, yes, I think it's going to happen because I'm a positive thinker, and I just think that it's going to get better. It's a pretty good place to end. We're here at Dirty Water with Chris, a fountain of optimism, and certainly we need that with all of the challenges that our country continues to face. And uh, with hope, we'll have more freedom, more opportunity, and more great folks able to visit Dirty Water and have a great time. Great. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for doing this. So if government is doing a bunch of dumb stuff that it should stop, what should we actually be working on to make people perhaps healthier, more resilient, more capable in their own bodies and their own lives of being able to fight off and resist this virus to ensure that it's less deadly? We saw at the beginning of the pandemic that more COVID lockdowns helped the legal cannabis industry quite a bit. Now, full disclosure, I'm an advocate for cannabis modernization. I wrote the marijuana laws in Florida, and I'm the only Republican co-sponsor of the Moore Act, a bill to remove marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act. I come from the pro-freedom wing of the Republican Party. We need more of those folks. So pre-COVID, illegal marijuana had been a real threat to the legal marijuana industry, undercutting prices, avoiding taxes and regulation. But the cartels and traffickers had major supply chain issues as a result of COVID. Less so for legal growers who are often cultivating and processing much closer to the actual user than the Sinaloa Mountains in Northwest Mexico. Fewer Americans wanted to deal with the uncertainty of street-level dealers or even dealers in their friend groups. Drug dealers don't always have the best masking policies, after all. People were at home getting their marijuana legally delivered in states like Colorado, Oregon, Washington, Alaska. These states saw three-year highs in legal marijuana sales during the summer of 2020. But like many highs brought by marijuana, this didn't last. A 2021 year-end piece by Chris Roberts in Forbes declared the COVID cannabis stimulus over. When the stimulus checks dried up, the consumer became more price conscious. But we have more information now, exciting information for many actually. The National Institutes of Health have released a preprint version of research showing that cannabidiol from CBD could prevent the spread of COVID SARS in the body. You heard that right. Lung cells which had been exposed to cannabidiol were less likely to allow replication of the COVID virus. At the early stages of infection, this could buy the body critical time to generate antibodies to defeat the virus. It also means that a cannabis application could be preventative as well as therapeutic. Omicron is a variant that has been less likely to spread in the lower respiratory system. This has made Omicron less likely to lead to death. There will, of course, be future variants. That's how these things work. But if cannabis, cannabidiol, can reduce the likelihood of spread in the lung cells, it will undoubtedly make us more resilient against coronavirus. 
I remember when the boomers learned that a glass of red wine at night could benefit the cardiovascular system. They were thrilled, titillated even. Will we one day learn that a CBD massage or tincture or brownie or pill could armor our lungs? A serious nation that loves and cares for its people should not be afraid to learn and research and study. I'm also from the pro-science wing of the Republican Party. Democrats have campaigned on pot. They have the House, the Senate, the presidency. And the Moore Act, which would federally legalize marijuana, hasn't passed. Their constituents support it. So where are you at, Joe Biden? You can't blame the Republicans. I am one. You can't even blame the Washington gridlock. Democrats are so focused on pushing their socialist ambitions and spending packages, uh, changing the Senate rules to create their own personal legislative chamber, hijacking democracy, enforcing vaccine ma mandates, increasing their grip on power, demolishing liberty. Many forget that the movement to legalize marijuana is not solely for enabling people to sit on their couch and smoke or alleviate the fear of having people around. Marijuana has verifiable medical applications. We've known about this potential for decades. The federal government even has the IP on marijuana in their own bundle of things that they own. But we have suffered from federal roadblocks as usual. If you suffer from cancer treatment-related nausea, PTSD, epilepsy-caused seizures, if you don't want to count on street weed, knowing what the THC content might be or what CBD ratios exist or what strain is best for you or what contaminants might be out there, a legal system would certainly be beneficial. Would you buy steak and milk and Sudafed from your cousin's friend's step-uncle on a street corner? I wouldn't. So why would we force people to purchase marijuana that way? In fact, there have been reports of street marijuana being laced with really harmful substances like heroin, meth, PCP, increasingly and most recently even fentanyl. Maybe the government is too busy bankrolling these toothless fentanyl programs to actually have awareness as to what might work. Federal government establishment and big pharma would rather you take the inescapable risk of what might be out there in the illegal market then present a real market alternative that is viable. They want you to fund the cartels and risk jail time rather than move forward with the rest of the world. Medical research is needed to treat patients in professional settings like any other drug. For over 50 years, all federal research ran through Ole Miss. That's right. Since 1968, Ole Miss was the sole academic entity granted the ability to create, cultivate, uh, cannabis for federal research and study. And while there have been some changes in the NIDA program, there is so much more that needs to be done to democratize access to research and to ensure that we are on the side of our people. I hope this, steer, this research is actually steered toward the efficacy of marijuana and helping people. But for far too many years, federal policy mandated that any studies of marijuana had to focus on the negative effects of weed, not medical utility. So they do the research by deciding the outcome first and then trying to reverse engineer into it. In fact, between 2000 and 2018, the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom spent a whopping $780 million trying to prove marijuana's negative side effects. My bill 
The Medical Cannabis Research Act would increase the number of manufacturers registered under the Controlled Substances Act to produce cannabis for legitimate research purposes. It might even help us with COVID. Moreover, this would authorize healthcare providers and the VA to provide recommendations to veterans about participating in approved clinical trials. I wish Joe Biden was half as permissive on marijuana as he is tyrannical on vaccines. Now, our advocacy for marijuana reform is not an excuse for America to sit home fat and high. Matter of fact, we need to be leaner, meaner, healthier. That would be better for our country. So Congress is often consumed with health care policy, but unfortunately, it actually ignores matters of true health and fitness. Why do we subsidize the consumption of food that actually kills people, especially the poor, people on government-subsidized food programs? Why don't we embrace the policies at the federal and state level that actually lower our national obesity rate? Obamacare was more about health insurance than actually making people healthier. The Republican response to Obamacare was more about lawsuits and tort reform than healthy living. I'm not here to fat shame anyone. I'd have no room to talk. I know personally how challenging issues of weight can be. I'm frequently way behind in my own goals. But society has now gotten to the point where it's considered verboten to consider that a daily salad might make you more resilient to all kinds of disease than the vax of the month pushed by big pharma. Where's Michelle Obama when you need her? When her husband was in office, the first lady encouraged American youth to participate in a healthy diet with video campaigns like this. Turn up for what? Michelle Obama was known for pushing a healthy diet. But at some point along the way since that 2014 video, something happened in America society. And we entered the obesity-embracing woketopia. We went from frowning on unrealistic Photoshop to cheerleading for the chubbies. I understand the concept of larger bodies and the wide range of genetic makeup that contribute to a person's appearance, of course. But when did body positivity go from choosing to skip the Photoshop before posting on the gram to cheering on unhealthiness? Like, did these fans, in response to singer Lizzo's video announcing her accomplishment, think they were doing the right thing? Shout out to Tristan Justice at The Federalist for this headline. Lizzo celebrates weight gain as COVID kills obese people. Our friend Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene got banished off of Twitter, in part for saying, before COVID, treatment for virus disease used fax data to treat and protect the vulnerable. After COVID, government mandates unnecessary vaccines for low-risk people. Knowing 90% of deaths are 50-plus and with obesity, diabetes, and heart conditions, the government ignores treatments. Marjorie Taylor Greene was right, by the way. She just wasn't woke enough, and that gets you banned these days. Even the batch of crooks and liars at CNN acknowledged that MTG was totally and completely correct. The CDC website says that adults with excess weight are at greater risk during the COVID-19 pandemic. Having obesity increases the risk of severe illness. People who are overweight may also be at risk. Having obesity may triple the risk of hospitalization due to a COVID-19 infection. 
obesity is linked to impaired immune function and obesity decreases lung capacity and reserve and can make ventilation more difficult. Why are we not encouraging the population to avoid obesity like Michelle Obama's Let's Move program? We've gone from get up and move to accusing the body mass index of being a tool of white supremacy. Wokeness is unhealthy. So let's follow Michelle Obama's advice and become a country of wellness. A healthy body is a healthy mind and a resilient human. Avoid the mass formation psychosis and big media and big tech's psyops. Focus on better, healthier days ahead. Thanks for joining us on Firebrand. Make sure that you're subscribed on your favorite listening or viewing platform and turn that notification bell on. That way you will get our episodes first. And you know what? You'll be able to see the future because we all know that CNN and MSNBC and the rest of the mainstream media, they watch Firebrand to know what's going to happen. We deliver the information straight to you. We'll be back next Thursday.